A, uh, we're carrying on week three with our series, The Genius of Jesus. It's Christmas coming up, and uh, there's a lot of uh, high signal-to-noise ratio around the airwaves about what Christmas is about, what we should be thinking about, what we should be spending our time, money, attention, energy on. And we here at Elevate, uh, very intentionally, are spending our time in the weeks leading up to Christmas to focus on Jesus, who is at the center and the very reason for Christmas so this is week number three. You can go back and listen to our podcast from week one, and I am convinced it's going to be soon week two, and this is also week three, not throwing anyone under the bus. Week three, I'm going to talk this morning about something that is critical to you and I fulfilling the, the potential that God has created us to fulfill. There are three words that you may use, may have used, may occasionally use, may be tempted in the future to use. Three words that reflect a habit that is actually a habit you cannot afford to continue with if you're in this habit. These three words reflect a habit that will erode relationships. These three words reflect a habit that will limit your productivity in your workplace or your business. And most fatalistic, these three words will reveal a habit that will actually limit your understanding of who God is and who He's created you to become. These three words are very simply, I just assumed. I didn't prepare. I just Assumed. Very dangerous words walking into the exam room. Your boss calls you in to check up on some work that they'd asked you to do. They maybe didn't give you the full thorough instructions you would have liked. You finished the project. They said, this isn't how I wanted it done. And you said to them, oh, I'm sorry I didn't seek clarification. I just assumed. There are some assumptions we can get away with, okay? You can't check the pilot's credentials every time you board the airplane. You've just got to assume they are qualified and the right person for the job. You can't, uh, you, you, you have to assume when you get in your Uber car that the driver has both a license and has not just had a bottle of tequila before you get in and get driving. There's some assumptions we, we can afford to make and we pretty much have to make, but there are some assumptions that we cannot afford to make. You can't, husbands, you can't just assume that your wife knows that you love her. You need to tell her and you need to show her. You know, see, it shouldn't be the men that are yelling out amen there. It should be the, it should be, oh. ladies, leaders, 
Whether you're a marketplace leader, a church place leader, a community leader, you can't assume the people you are leading know they're doing a good job and that they know why they're doing a good job. You have to make sure that they know. Don't just assume. And here's what I said at the beginning. The most fatalistic of all of the assumptions is you and I basing our picture of God, who He is, what He wants, who He's created us to become from cultural cliches, secondhand information. Because the more inaccuracy, the more assumptions, if they're false assumptions, and we act on those assumptions because we think that they're true, one degree by another degree, eventually, we get taken off track. Now, let me start by defining assumption. And uh, I grabbed this from Stephen Furtick. It's probably the best definition I've seen, which is why I chose it uh, for use this morning. Let me, this is it. What is assumption? Assumption is the vulnerability of ignorance masked by the illusion of certainty. A lot of big words there. Good thing you guys are so smart. Here, here, here in this definition, Stephen Furtick identifies something of the symptom and something of the, 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 the cause. See, that we walk around trying to project certainty because it makes us look smarter. It makes people think that we know stuff. You know. But, but, if it's based on assumption, it's just an illusion of certainty because you can't be certain. And the reason we often opt to assume is because we don't want to come across as ignorant. We don't want to come across as being a little bit stupid. We don't want to come across as not having Googled it. Makes us look smarter. One of the things that Jesus did is he confronted the false assumptions of his day. In fact, uh, you can jump onto your Bible app now or we're going to put it on the screens in a moment. Jesus went on this little kind of spiel around what the kingdom of heaven is actually like. Now, now let me just uh, helicopter up for a second before I drill into this story. Jesus teaching about what the kingdom of heaven is like wasn't intended to show people, including us, what life will be like when we get to heaven. It was actually intended to show us what we've been created on this earth to put in to, to earth. That, that, that when Jesus was asked, how should we pray? He said, pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're agents for bringing heaven on earth. So, so here's the problem. If we don't have a clearer picture of what heaven's like, in other words, how God wanted earth to be all along, by the way, and, and longs to get back to. If we don't have a clear picture of that, how the Jimmy are we supposed to know what we're trying to do? What's the assignment? What does it look like? If, if that's based on false assumptions, we're going to mess things up. So Jesus started teaching uh, about what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he used metaphor. He used what are called parables. Fantastic. Heavenly uh, truths with, a, with an earthly meaning. Brilliant. And uh, went on, bam, bam, bam. You can rewind to Matthew 25 from the beginning. Great story, great story. When Jesus kind of goes on, here's a story, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, using different metaphors, you know it's actually pretty important. He's trying to drive this point home. It's not that the people are stupid. 
He said, I'm going to tell four stories because this is four times more important than the truth I taught that they don't tell one story about. So he had four stories. This is the fourth. I want to drill deeply into this and I want to unpack the guts out of it. All right. So there'll be a lot of teaching this morning, class. So be ready to take notes. Here we go. Story number four, it's also the kingdom of heaven, like a man going off on an extended trip. He called his servants together and delegated responsibilities. To one, he gave $5,000, ka-ching, to another 2000 and to third, 1000 depending on their abilities. Then he left. Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. But... The man with the single thousand dug a hole. Dale dug a hole, thank you. Jeez, I thought you were Aussies. Dale dug a hole. Dale dug a hole, we'll call him Dale, and carefully buried his master's money. After a long absence, the master of those three servants came back and settled up with them. The one given $5,000 showed him how he doubled in his investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Hmm. The servant with the 2,000 showed how he'd also doubled his master's investment. His master commended him. Good work. You did your job well. From now on, be my partner. Promotion. The servant given 1,000 said, uh, 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 Master, uh, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. <laughs> His master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that, exclamation mark. If you knew I was after the best, why'd you do less than the least? At least you could have done would have been to invest this sum with the bankers where at least it would have gotten a little interest. Here, take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play at safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. There are a whole lot of false assumptions buried in that story that Jesus wanted to confront. Starting with, the story appears, like the, ma the master in this story is, is God, okay? I know you guys probably figured that out. God and three servants, but actually it wasn't three servants, it was two servants and one slave. See, because a servant knows the heart of the master. In this case, the servant number one knew the heart of the master, did what the master wanted, didn't just assume falsely, as did the second. But the third one, he made some pretty strong assumptions about what the master was like, and ultimately, he was a slave. He was imprisoned by his false assumptions. Two servants and one slave. False assumption in verse 24. I'll put it up in, a, in another uh, version, the English Standard Version. This is how it's written. He also, who'd received the one talent, thousand unit, you know, cash of whatever, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. This was a false assumption, right? And upon this assumption, the guy acted. 
based on this assumption. But it was a false assumption. He, <laughs> not only did he bury the master's money, he then actually tried to blame it on the master. It's your fault. The, the, the sort of person you are made me do this. It was a false assumption about the character of the master. And you know how I know it was a false assumption? Let's back it up to verse 22. This is this hard man reaping where he did not sow. This is actually the real character of the master. His master replied, said it to the first and to the second, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Does that sound like the guy that the slave's describing to you? Does that sound like the master? Uh, I knew you to be a hard man. Hard man, this wasn't a hard man. This is a guy in a flipping good mood. Come share your master's happiness. Awesome. Give you promotion. Be my partner. Oh, but I assumed you're a hard man. Well, well, don't just assume. Well, I knew, I knew that you reap, reap where you did not sow. No, he sowed. It was his money. He gave it to someone else. That's called sowing. He gave five grand, two grand, and one grand. What do you mean reap where I didn't sow? I'm the one that flippin' sowed. Oh, well, I just assumed. And, 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 and not only that, I, I know that you gather where you scattered no seed. Well, I just told you I did scatter seed, you buffhead, and you got a thousand of them, right? And, and, and by the way, did you notice I didn't gather? I let them keep it. I even gave them yours. And I gave them a promotion. They don't, they're not my servants, they're now my partners. Don't tell me I... Gather where I didn't scatter seed. Oh, uh, oops. I just assumed. January, we're kicking off the new year with a teaching series called God Never Said That. And as four weeks, am I going to hit four cultural idioms that sound spiritual? sound biblical, but they're not. And see, here's the thing. If you build your life on stuff that sounds like something God said, but it isn't, God's not going to back you up on that. If God backs up what he says, he doesn't back up what you heard or assumed he said. So get along to that. But look, this story that Jesus told is littered with false assumptions. Number one, assuming that our abilities are fixed that what we start with is what we're stuck with. It's not true. Now, what is true is that we've all been given different abilities. Whether you like it or not, we've all been given different abilities. We don't all have the same ability, but here's the good thing. We do all have the ability to grow our ability. See, the giving of the ability initially is on God, the growing of that ability from that point is on us. And I, I like to encourage people, you know, let people pray for opportunity. God, I'm praying for opportunity, praying for opportunity, praying for opportunity. And, and, and by all means, go for it. Pray for opportunity. But don't spend all your time praying for opportunity. Spend some of your time growing your ability. 
Because the problem is, is when the next big opportunity comes, if your capacity hasn't grown, your ability hasn't grown, you won't be able to handle the opportunity when it comes. And Jack Nicholson would say to you, you can't handle the opportunity. So what was the point of praying for an opportunity that you didn't have the capacity to handle? So pray for the opportunity and spend time growing your ability. False assumption. The ability needs to stay ahead of the opportunity curve. That's why we're not sitting still. We don't do sitting still. I mean, you're sitting still, but I'm talking metaphorically here. As Elevate Church, you know a question that I often ask, and I pitch it around with our team leaders, what's our current capacity? How many people could God send us today before we started destroying people's lives? Like, like, like what, you know, how many people could we actually lead well, invest in well, disciple well? Because beyond that, we don't want God sending us beyond that because we, we wouldn't be able to handle it. But we ask the question, how many? We, we, we track how many we have. We do a bum count, head count, nose count, whatever body part you want to put forward each week. We know exactly how many people we hear every single week. But we ask a second question, what's our current capacity? How, how can we further grow our capacity? Because it's as we grow our capacity, our ability, our leadership ability, how, how we do things, our mindset, our faith systems, teamwork, relationships, all of those things grow our ability, grow our capacity, but we need to be doing those ahead of the curve. We need to, be, we need to have the faith, the mindset, the, the leadership capacity of a church of 200 when we're only a church of 100. Because if we only have the capacity as a church of 100, God ain't gonna send any more people because we'll, we, we'll, we'll fumble the ball. So we're always talking about growing our capacity, growing our ability even before the opportunity comes along. It's true in Elevate Kids. We, we, we probably have too many team members. We don't have too many team members, but it might look like we have too many team members in Elevate Kids. There's orange shirts everywhere, but we always want more. Why? Because we're currently running 20 to 30 kids every weekend in Elevate Kids, but we need to have the capacity for 60 or God's not gonna send another 30. Same goes for Elevate Youth, Friday Night Live. We've got this many kids, this many team members. We need more team members. We keep, we, we keep uh, inviting and, and we'll continue to cast vision to join our Elevate Youth team. But we're also growing the capacity of the existing team members. You grow capacity by more people and bigger people that are already there. Same in your marketplace, same in your families. Grow your ability. <clears throat> One of the roadblocks to some people growing their ability is, is they get paralyzed by resentment, looking at other people who seem to have more ability than them. And instead of just growing what God gave them, they don't do nothing because why would I, you know. I mean, picture this. (laughs) These three guys are standing and the master comes along with his big sack of cash and and he goes up to the first one and he goes, poof, drops five grand. Is that a lot of money? Is that a little? Not a lot of money. No one knows because there's nothing to measure it against. <laughs> Goes to the next one. What was he thinking? Oh, wonder how much I'm going to get. Gets 2000 We didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice. It's not his money. Just take what you're given. Third guy. <laughs> this could go either way. Master drops one grand. You're kidding, right? I, I, I just watched you give this guy five. And, 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 and this guy too. 
You give me one? Really? One? I'm going to go and bury this in the ground, but, but actually, if I was completely honest with you, there's somewhere else I'd like to stick this right now. <laughs> 1,000? Really? That's all you think I'm worth? So, so he did nothing. He resented. He did nothing. Well, let me ask you a question. If I met you in the foyer at 11 o'clock today and I handed you a thousand bucks, would you take it? Amen. <laughs> of course you would. It's not five, but it's one. It's not five, but it's not zero. Right? To misquote Louis' girl crush, J-Lo, it may seem like he had a little, but he had a lot. Thank you, Peter. I was going to actually expose my midriff, bust a move, and sing that, but that would have all been very wrong. So here's the call to action around this idea of resenting and doing nothing. Stop complaining about what it's not and start using what you got. Oh, I can't preach. Oh, come to think of it, though, I'm a pretty good listener. Great. You can affirm someone's self-worth by giving them your undivided, non-smartphone device attention and remind them that they're valued in the eyes of God and turn their destiny around by listening. Now, I don't know if I could lead a, a big team, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm a pretty mean prayer, like mean good. <laughs> yeah, good, great. So, so get praying because you can destroy strongholds of the enemy with your prayers that you may be praying in secret, but, but if that's what God's given you, that's the ability God's given you, then grow that ability. Uh, well, well, I'm only young. I, I don't have much experience and much wisdom. Yeah, we know. We've noticed, okay? Everyone's noticed. But, but you've got time because mum does your laundry. You've got energy because you don't make noises as you get up and down from the couch. You only make them while you're on the couch. And uh, so... so Use what you've got, and over time, with some great leaders around you, you will develop greater wisdom, and you will grow in experience. But by the way, you'll only do those things if you actually use what you've got. Another false assumption that Jesus confronted was how God keeps score. God doesn't score us in what we don't have. He didn't expect the guy with 1,000 to produce an extra 5,000. He didn't expect the guy with 2,000 to produce 5,000. He expected them to produce with what they got. Doesn't score us on what we don't have. Doesn't score us against what other people have. Does simply expect us to go all in with what we do have. Did you notice that the master gave the same speech to the guy with 5,000 as he did to the guy with 2,000? That even though their amounts were different, their commitment was exactly the same. And that's what the master appreciated. Here's another false assumption. This one's going to turn your panties inside out. God's, God is fair. Jesus confronted the assumption, the false assumption, that God is fair. Doesn't sound very nice, does it? You're waiting for a bolt of lightning to come down and wipe me off the stage. You're telling people I'm not fair. What? 
Yeah, God is just. That's a whole other thing. But here's the, here's the reason I know that God is not fair. This is the reason I can draw this. Well, there's actually a lot of reasons I can preach a whole other message on that. Not today. But if we thought God was fair, right, then one of two scenarios would ultimately spring to mind. Based on the assumption that God is fair, we would assume that God would have given them all the same amount. But he didn't. He, he, in fact, in fact trace it even back one step further. He gave them all a different level of ability. Well, that's not fair. Fear is a level playing field. We've all got the same ability, but we don't. Fear is a level playing field. Because we've all got the same ability, God gives us all the same amount. We would assume that based on our assumption that God's fair. But if, if that's a false assumption, then, 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 then this thinking that everyone should have the same, get the same, is wrong. Or if we can somehow overlook that, and really you can't if you assume God's fair. But if you could, because you're a hypocrite, then what, that wasn't intended to be anybody, just uh, popped into my head, uh, if you might have sort of missed that one, you, you'd, you'd at least then think, but if God's fair, when, when he came back and discovered that servant one grew from five to 10,000, servant two from two to 4,000, servant one from one to, to one, now we've got 10, four, and one, that here's what God would do. God would redistribute the wealth evenly. He'd put it all back in one little pile and give them a third each. We'd assume that because that's fair, Right? Now, really, it's not, and I don't have time to get into that. It's not fair because this guy didn't do anything. So, it, so here's the thing. We just talked about Elevate Global. One of the organizations we, we, we partner with is Opportunity International. We talked about Compassion. The other one is Opportunity International. What they do is originally Australian-based, uh, and that's who we partner with, the Australian branch, and we... Uh, we invest money into them, and they invest it into uh, women in Indonesia to micro loans to start or expand their small business. <clears throat> and the reason we love that is because even though they've got less than we do, they're doing oftentimes more with the little they have than a lot of Westerners do with the lot that we do have. And one of our principles, and this is a principle that I take on board for leadership, I will not invest in you if I'm more interested in your destiny than you are. This guy wasn't particularly interested in his destiny. God doubled this and let him keep it. In fact, upgraded him to partner. Same with this guy. And this guy actually fired him and took his grand up back. God's not fair, but God's just. Another false assumption that we can obey God at our own convenient pace. Thanks, God, I heard you, and I'll get back to you when it suits me. Let's just hold that thought, shall we? Uh, not a good time for me right now, thanks, God. Surprised you didn't notice that already. Really? Right off, the first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same. Right off, there was a sense of urgency. He's given this to us now, right away. Now, now, now by the way, here's the thing. 
Jesus then went on to say, after a long absence, the master came back. So, so, so their motivation, their urgency wasn't about, oh, Flip, he's, he's not going to be gone long. We better get some stuff done because he's coming back real soon. After a long absence, he came back. But, but, but they were smart enough to have a sense of urgency that the second that, that, that the master had given them what he'd given them, they got busy. They got to work. There was a sense of urgency. And I define, uh, one of the ways I define people's spiritual maturity is the lag time in their obedience. The lag time between... God very rarely gives suggestions. He's actually more of a specialist in instructions. He very rarely comes to us seeking our permission and consent before he speaks. It's more like, hello, How'd I go? I, I couldn't put two words because the next one would be completely off key if, if that first one wasn't. But maybe it was because I didn't have a reference point. Anyway. Uh, this, uh, um, yeah, okay. There is not enough effects on our desk to make me sound good if I had to. So last week, we, I gave some homework. Last week, the homework I gave was, was, was this week. Just gone. The homework was, instead of asking, instead of giving Jesus a list of things to do for you this week, how about you ask him to give you a list of things to do this week? That was last week's homework. Now, I actually think that's our homework every week. And, and by the way, we do both. Jesus, I need you to do this, some of this stuff. And he says, yes, no, or not yet. And then... He, in turn, says to us, I want you to do some stuff. And we can say yes, no, or not yet, but don't. <laughs> Make sure there's no lag time in your obedience. Just say yes. You want to always understand it? Just say yes. I got a message. Uh, someone pinged me during the week. It was very cool. I love it when people ping me good stuff. Um, two weeks ago, Pete was up here platform leading. Stop canoodling, Colleen. Uh, Carleen, by the way, one of our Elevate Youth team leaders, uh, I have some raw live video footage of her in a sumo suit uh, on, on Friday night. And uh, let me just say that it, this week, spoiler, is going to be a reason for you to like Elevate Church's Facebook page. Just saying. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I got a message this week. So two weeks ago, Pete was platform leading. And Pete shared, it was kind of a, it wasn't even the main point Pete was making. He, he reflected back on uh, his uh, mentor in Bible college and, and how it used to bug him, <laughs> fair enough, that the mentor, his favorite question to ask Pete was, what's God saying to you? Because nothing is not an acceptable answer to that question. You know, nothing. Uh, what's God saying to you? So Pete just shared that and then went on to, to, to communicate some other points out of that. And one of, our, one of our team took, took that question on and started leaning into that. God, what are you saying to me? What's my homework? And they pinged me with the answer, like what God had said to them. And I know their story and I know the context. And what God was saying to them was very inconvenient. <laughs> the timing couldn't be worse. And, and they pinged me to, to say that they'd said yes to God and they were on it. Lag time. 
Take your next step when God tells you, not when it suits you. Another false assumption was how we define faithfulness. See, understand that, that the, the, the third guy, he didn't waste the master's money. Like it was still there when he came back. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't you know, spend it on hookers and cocaine. He didn't fly off to the Bahamas with it in, a, in, a, in some offshore Cayman Island bank account. He actually brought it back. So the master came back and says, where's my money? He's like, here it is. The master, well, what, he didn't waste it. That's not what made the master furious. Because he didn't waste it, he brought it back, he still had it. But here's the thing. The false assumption is that maintenance is faithfulness. But it's not. Maintenance isn't faithfulness. Multiplication is faithfulness. See, if all the master wanted him to do was, 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 was just hold on to the thousand bucks, he wouldn't have bothered giving it to him in the first place. The master could have held on to it for himself and done nothing with it. The master could have buried it himself and then gone off on his long journey, but he gave it to him. And he didn't say, just hang on to it. Be faithful. Just maintain it. When I come back, I'm expecting a grand, not a cent less, but not a cent more. He rewarded the multipliers and said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. God expects a return. You know, um, Christmas is coming up. And uh, I, we had some trade, trades come in and do some work on our house this week. And uh, they always ask me what I do because I work mostly from home because they think, I don't know what they think I do, drug, drug dealer or, I don't know, unemployed, but I'm you know, paying them, so that doesn't compute. And so I say I lead a church. It's like the, the conversation only ever goes one and two very, very opposite directions when I actually declare my occupation to them. Lead a church. These are tradies too, like they're like, like I love them. They just they they're really real. <laughs> oh yeah. Alright. Uh, so you going going away for Christmas? Okay. No mate. I couldn't be any further from going away for Christmas. This is like peak season for me, dude. If you want to take a Christmas holiday every year, don't get into hospitality or church leadership. It's just, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, there's a reason that we lean even more into Christmas season than ever before about investing and inviting people that don't yet know Jesus. <clears throat> and that's because maintenance isn't faithfulness. The image I have, and I just say this to be as raw with you as the tradies are with me, it's not enough for us to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's not going to be enough for us when we meet him face to face to say, I'm here. Because 
he's going to say, really? You came alone? There's enormous opportunity around Christmas uh, to make sure we don't come alone. Sunday mornings, elevate, I'm here. You came alone? Uh, Christmas Eve at Elevate, I'm here, got my little sleigh bells on, got my bells jingling. Horrible imagery around that song. You came alone? Our hosts are rocking some new t-shirts this morning, looking resplendent, I might say. On the front, big, bold letters, welcome, we've been expecting you. I really feel that that's, that's the words from the heart of God to unchurched and de-churched people, that everything we do isn't just so that we can have nice chairs and delicious coffee and good music. It's so that people that don't yet know Jesus know that there's a church that actually is willing to try and bring heaven to earth the way God intended it in the first place, and so that we could actually say to God, I'm here, and look who else I brought. Let's pray, huh? God, in this lead up to Christmas, use us. Use us even if we're a bit sheepish. (laughs) Use us in ways that actually may even astonish us. That as we obey you to not just maintain, not just to come alone, but to invest and invite that, that we know you, you want people in your house and ultimately in relationship with you even more than we do. And because of that, you go before us. Your Holy Spirit prepares the way. So whether it's friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, bosses, distant relatives, uh, just uh, stick a rocket up our butts that we'll, we'll be motivated and committed not to what's convenient but to what we're called to and see incredible multiplication in your kingdom over this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. One more question and then uh, we're gonna hand back to Jess. Uh, are you someone who's following Jesus or not. If you're not, we want to give you the opportunity to start following him right here, right now. And uh, all I want in a moment is for those of you that need to start following Jesus, I just want you to put your hand up and say to God, I'm, I'm ready to start following you. And when I see a hand, you put it down, we just quickly pray. But uh, we don't want you leaving here without giving you this opportunity. And, and we don't want you leaving here without taking this opportunity if you're not yet someone who's following Jesus. So Just real quickly, right now, if you're not yet following Jesus and you know today you need to start following him, just slip your hand up. When I see a hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to quickly pray.